Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever Academy Awards special from The Movie Show, sponsored by moremovies.co.uk. Your hosts for this evening will be Greg Fisher and David Roberts. Welcome to the Academy Awards special here from the movie show. I'm David Roberts. I'm joined by my co-host, Greg Fisher. What a special evening it is, sir. Absolutely. The Academy Awards, it comes round but once a year. And it's like the FA Cup for the movie industry. Everybody loves it. It's it's all, all the big prizes, all the best awards. You know, you just can't top the Oscars, can you? You certainly can't. The Glitterazzi and Paparazzi are out. Everyone's getting pissed on this special night celebrating the best of the last year of cinema. And when we say pissed, we mean that in the British sense. (laughs) Then again, I suppose some people will be getting pissed in the American sense if they don't win. Yes, to be very upset indeed, I think. And uh, we might see some of that in maybe in some of the best moments in Oscars history, which we'll have a little look at. Um, We've got our top five best pictures winners from the Oscars history we're going to have a look at. Uh, we're going to make our predictions of what's going to win this year, which will be really fun, and uh, a little bit of uh, Oscars history as well. So jam-packed show. That's a jam-packed show. You're absolutely right. Let's start off, like you say, with a little bit of Academy Awards history. Okay, so uh, the Academy Awards, it started way, way back in 1929, in the 20s. Can you believe it? Very long time ago. I mean, ago. it's so long ago, we're in the 20s again. So, you know, in, a, in about eight years or so, it'll be 100 years of the Oscars. That'll be a big one. It will. That will be If monumental. we're all still here to enjoy it, that'll be a big one. <laughs> but yeah, it started all the way back in 1929. Apparently, in the first awards they ever had, there was only about 200-odd people there. Uh, they had 15 awards to give out, and it took about 15 minutes to give them out. So things have changed a hell of a lot because obviously, um, you know, as we know nowadays, the, the uh, award ceremony takes about four hours to get through. You know, so... Um, Back then, someone just came in with a carrier bag and was like, here you are, Jeff, you've got one. Uh, Gloria, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, like the first, the first ever Academy Awards, they announced the winners to the press a couple of months beforehand. So everybody knew who was going to win. There was no surprise there. They obviously changed that for the next year, the 1930 awards and, uh, you know, kept it a secret to reveal on the evening, but, you know, couldn't imagine that, you know, um, everybody knows who's going to win. No one, no one to bloody watch it anymore. Well, no, it'd be kind of pointless, wouldn't it? It's kind of, there's no point in doing the ceremony if everyone knows, you know? No, I mean, it started off, obviously, it was a much smaller thing. I think um, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Mary Pickford and people like that were responsible for first starting the Academy and um, and giving out the awards each year. Obviously, now it's grown into a massive, massive deal where it, it almost transcends the movie industry because it's quite a fashion event as well. Yeah. You, know, you get all the dresses on the red carpet and uh, who's going to be you know, dressed in Versace this year, who's going to be wearing what. All sorts of jewels happening and all sorts. So, you know, it's become a massive, massive thing now, obviously, uh, all these years later. And become very international and um, cross-pollinating with the the music industry and stuff like that. So it's obviously 
for yeah. humble beginnings. Now it's quite a, quite a power force, isn't it? It is. And looking over uh, throughout history at some of like the best picture awards, when I was glancing over it, I noticed that a lot of them uh, before 1939 were of films that, to be honest, you know, I'd not really heard of. I, I wasn't too familiar with. But in 1939, we get Gone with the Wind, wins Best Picture, and it also won a slew of other awards as well. Famously, it was one of the first films to win a, you know, a shitload of um awards but it's also a film that we still know today yeah um it's kind of famous it's in the culture in a way you know for one reason or another obviously it's quite a controversial film for some reasons nowadays but nevertheless it is one of the films that we say gone with the wind everybody can picture that movie and that was the first time that um the best picture was given to something that i'd say that is still um relevant to um contemporary audiences for one reason or another frankly my dear i don't give a damn yeah kind of the turning point of when yeah it kind of started to almost make films as well i guess in terms of becomes part of the consciousness yeah Um, and also it also uh in terms of it making films like you know that much more um well known uh it also made the academy awards a little bit uh, better known as well in that sense because you know um, I think that was a tipping point anyway into like as we know the Academy Awards as they are today um, that was a sort of time where that started to happen um, because you have a run then in 1939 you've got the um, Gone with the Wind in 1940 Rebecca won uh, Best Picture Hitchcock's uh, only win uh, uh, 1941 uh, How Green Was My Valley yeah um Obviously, uh, that's that's you know a legendary classic film there. Um, and then uh, in 1943, two years later, you've got Casablanca, which is obviously one of the most famous films ever. He's looking at you, kid. So you know you've got this run there that where you know these these kind of films, the couple that we've mentioned there, they're still kind of relevant. All iconic. these years later, yeah. although they're yeah, they are iconic films, even though they're um, a little bit dated now, perhaps. But then, obviously, we go into the nineteen fifties, and you get things like uh, All About Eve, winning in nineteen fifty on the waterfront, nineteen fifty four, very important film. Bridge Over the River Kwai, nineteen fifty seven. So we got some quite notable films there. Into the sixties, you've got things like West Side Story and um, Lawrence of Arabia. Towards the end of the 60s then, um, in 1967, the best best picture winner was In the Heat of the Night with uh, Sidney Poitier and um, Rod Steiger. Uh, 1969, Midnight Cowboy, quite an alternative film. So that's probably the first time that, you know, something that was, I think that was an R-rated film. So it's probably the first yeah. time an R-rated film won. So towards the end of the 60s, we're having a lot of uh, first-time things. <laughs> And then into the 70s, obviously, we got some famous stuff. The French Connection, 1971. The Godfather, 1972. The Sting, one in 1973, you know, uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford film. Then back to The Godfather with Godfather Part Two in 1974. Uh, one of our favorite films, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975, something that we've done a podcast about, one of our early favorite films podcasts, which you can listen to 
here on our YouTube channel. We'll put a link to that below. And then to end the 70s off, um, we got uh, The Deer Hunter in 1978, winning Best Picture. So uh, in the 70s, a lot of alternative stuff, a lot of new Hollywood films, so to speak, were winning. Um, that's when the Academy Awards show really does start to get into that uh, modern format where you've got all the song and dance numbers, etc., and all that exciting stuff happening, as I'm sure lots of it will come up now throughout the show. But historically speaking, now now it is nearly, you know, it's 90-odd years on. There's, there's quite a lot of uh, famous things that have happened at the Oscars over the years. Yeah, and the deer hunter, talking about the deer hunter, I mean, that was really, is often pointed at by critics as the turning point, really, of what has now been become Oscar bait, you know. Yeah. We now know that the Oscars um, has um, certain criteria, I guess, that it, it, it likes to um, pick for best films and best acting performances. Sure. Um, there's certain key elements we can pick out all the time and go with, they, they like certain things. And um, that was kind of the first film that really almost deliberately um, was created and, uh, and marketed, really, in a way that was to, to get nomination. And it started what we see now in terms of films getting released at a certain time of year. They're created in such a way with certain stars to, you know, generate Oscar nominations. Mm. Interesting. I mean, I don't think that The Deer Hunter was created with winning Oscars in mind uh, by Michael Cimino and stuff, but I certainly accept that it probably was marketed thus. But uh, it is quite um, a milestone film in terms of winning um, the Best Picture Award because it was about a topic uh, that America wasn't really ready to talk about yet. It was about uh, the repercussions of the Vietnam War. And, you know, it was one of the first films to do that. And the fact that it won as well, even though there were, there were uh, awards won for Coming Home, uh, the Hal Ashby film, I think Jane Fonda won for that and John Voight won for his performance in that a few years before. And that dealt with uh, Vietnam as well, but not quite as, um, it wasn't quite as on the nose as The Deer Hunter, you know, no. in terms of that particular war. So uh, it's quite interesting that that won at that time because some people would, um, you know, uh, probably perceive it as being quite an anti-establishment film in a lot of ways because it's anti-war for a start. It's critical of, of the war and of what happened there. So, yeah, I mean, the Oscars certainly has that, um, a slice of that cultural history in terms of going down the years of, of what's won and what's not. It's, and it's been a, you know, you can, you can use it as a kind of litmus test in a way for um for what what what's going on at the time you know yeah and it's interesting looking back because of course it's some it's often different what um the feeling is around the time yeah and what we perceive now looking back in hindsight you know yeah uh films that were more popular in the moment or sure. chosen in the moment that now Perhaps uh, the other films are looked on in a, in a better light, you know, so to speak. Um, Absolutely. So it is a kind of, it is, it's like a moment in time captured, isn't it? Which is, which is quite interesting. It sure is, buddy. Well, there we go. There's a little bit uh, of a cursory glance at the history of the Academy Awards. There's going to be plenty more to come in the show because we're going to be having a look at uh, some of our favourite picks, some of our favourite moments, as you've already mentioned, as we go along. So, um, yeah. 
there we go. There's a bit of a there's a bit of a roundup history. Should we should we bring it up to date and talk about um, our top picks for this year? Yeah, let's bring it up to date. Ninety third Academy Awards. Let's uh, let's have a look at our picks. Let's dive into that one next. Okay, it's the 93rd Academy Awards this weekend. So uh, we're going to take a little look at uh, the big six. Uh, best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. And uh, we're going to make our picks for what we think should win each category. And uh, let's have a little look now, shall we? And kick Let's do off. it. Yeah, we've made our lists. Let's, let's have a look at them. Let's start off with Best Supporting Actress. How about that? Yeah, let's go with that. Okay, so who are the nominations in this category? So we've got Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Allergy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yoon Jung for Minari. Okay, so she won the BAFTA. She did for indeed. For her performance in, in uh, Minari, which we mentioned last week in our More Movies Weekly show. Um, do you think she's going to win the Oscar? I do. She's my pick. Um Okay. I, th- I both think it's my favourite um, supporting actress, and I think it will win as well. Um, this is a strange category for me this year because um, there's a couple of names in there I wouldn't expect to see. I wouldn't expect to see Amanda Seedfried in there, and I wouldn't expect to see Bakalova uh, for um, Borat. But they're there, fair enough, whatever. I've gone with uh, Olivia Coleman for The Father. Uh, she's won before in the Best Actress category. This is for Best Supporting Actress. Let's see if she can take this one home as well for the UK. Come on, Olivia. <laughs> it was a superb performance. I, I did really enjoy The Father. Oh, yeah, excellent. And, uh, yeah. It is a strange category, as you say, though. There's a few kind of anomalies, really. Well, those in, two in yeah, particular, I just thought, oh, really? I mean, not that they were bad or anything, but I didn't know whether they were Oscar-worthy performances. But then again, ask me what should be in their place, and I probably couldn't tell you right now. No, it's hard to pick head, what so. would replace it. But I, I, you know, I definitely for like Borat, for example, is not. I she was say great a, in it. Don't get me wrong; I oh, really absolutely. liked her in it. But Oscar worthy? It's also it's it's not just that. I think it's like is it something the the Academy usually picks to be nominated? You know, I think that's no. the kind of especially something like that, which is such a uh, out and out um, comedy. Yeah comedy film okay moving on to best supporting actor or best actor in a supporting role as they say at the awards let's uh, list off who we've got on the list there so we got Sacha Baron Cohen for the trial of Chicago 7 we got Daniel Kaloya for Judas and the Black Messiah we got Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami we got Paul Racy for Sound of Metal and we've got Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah who do you think in my opinion, I don't know if he'll win, but who I would pick would be Lakeith Stanfield. He was excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent in Judas and the Black Messiah. Really good performance from him. Um, he's a very strong candidate to win. Uh, again, in our More Movies Weekly podcast, we've gone over the fact that both him and Daniel Kaloya are both nominated in the Best Supporting category, whereas we 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 mentioned it before we thought maybe Daniel Kaloya maybe should have been in the best lead actor category but anyway I've I've put Daniel down as a British guy he won the uh, BAFTA in the same category 
Um, so I seen you put Lakeith Stanfield down, so I thought I'd, I'd go with Dan on this one, being the British actor. I enjoyed them both in it. It's a great film. You know, wonderful, wonderful um, performances from both those guys. We Again, we've got a review on the website, moremovies.co.uk, if you want to check out our review for Judas and the Black Messiah. Again, we'll put a link in the description here below. But there we go. You've gone with Stanfield. I've gone with Kaloya. Moving on to the best actress. Best actress. Oh, well, Who we got? Uh, we got Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We got Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday. We got Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of Woman. Frances McDormand in Nomadland. And we got Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Some great performances in there. Um, I haven't seen Pieces of a Woman yet. No. Um, so I, I can't speak on that one. Um, I have gone for Andra Day in this one for the United States versus Billie Holiday. It was a debut performance from her. So to be nominated for an Oscar in this category on a debut performance is a hell of an achievement as it stands. It's very impressive, yeah. I thought her turn as Billie Holiday was excellent. Again, we've got we've got a review for this film, a film in five review. We'll link it below if you want to check out our thoughts on this wonderful film. But I thought Andrew Day, I mean, I was going to go with Viola Davis for Ma Rainey, but then once I seen... United States versus Billy Holiday. I changed my mind and I thought I want Andrew Day to win it because I just she's just so good in that. She was so so bloody good in that film. I, I she's got my money. What about yourself? Who have you gone for? Yeah, I um, I struggled with this a bit because I thought um, there was some fantastic performances and it was kind of hard to differentiate uh, really. Yeah, um, and um, so I did struggle. But I ended up, I've gone for um, Kerry Mulligan um, for Promising Young Woman. Another uh, great film. Because um, it was a good film, and I, she made the film, in my opinion. The, the standout thing about it was her performance for me. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, you did a fantastic review, uh, Film oh, Five on our website thank you so much. and YouTube. Well, I'm not sure if it was fantastic or not, but there is, yes, another Film in Five review for Promising Young Woman, again, We'll put the link down here in the uh, bio. So, so let's let's move on to best actor. It's a it's a hell of a lineup this year. We've got uh, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. We got Chadwick Boseman for Mar Rainey's Black Bottom, which would be a um, posthumous award. Posthumous award. God rest uh, his soul. Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yun for Minari. Some standout performances there. I, I don't think Stephen Ewan's going to win it, God bless him. Um, but not because it wasn't a great performance, but I don't think it was quite as standout or bombastic as, as some of the other performances. For example, someone like Gary Oldman playing uh, Mankiewicz there. That is quite a memorable turn. I've gone for Chadwick Boseman. I think your original prediction that he was going to win for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is pretty on the money, and um, I'm going to go with that. I'm, I'm taking your ticket because I know you've changed now. You, you're, you're no longer saying him now, but I, I'll take that ticket, and I'll, I'll go with Chad Bozeman on that one. Yeah, I think if I was a betting man, if I was if I was to pop down the bookies tomorrow and put a bet on who's going to win, I think Chadwick Boseman. Um, yeah. Brilliant, pers- brilliant performance. Really great. It's a great performance, but I think out of all of these, I, and I did struggle... Um, because there's some fantastic performances. Um, but ultimately, 
I've gone for Gary Oldman as Mank because I thought that was, uh, although I've got problems with Mank as a film, um, yeah. it's still very good. And oh, that yeah. Performance oh, it's is, excellent. Um, it's one of those films, to be honest, I want to go back to and watch a couple of times and really unpack it, you know, and, yeah. and go into it more. But it was, it's, to be honest, having the time to do that, I haven't had the time yet, but it is something I intend to go back to. Because uh, I agree with you, there's, there's there's problems with it, but at the same time, they're interesting problems and they're problems yeah. you want to unpack and look into more. But no doubt, Gary Oldman, fantastic performance. Again, another Brit. We love him. We talked about this film uh, last year on the movie show in our 2020 retrospective. That was our uh, film of 2020. So we kind of gave you all our thoughts on it there. So that then brings us on to Best Director. This year, we've got a couple of women nominated. Tell us, Tell us who's lined up this year. Yeah, it's interesting this year, Best Director, actually. It's a, it's a fascinating um, lineup, really. So we've got um, Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round. Love that film, love Vinterberg. Which is interesting because Another Round hasn't really got <laughs> any other place on the on the board for the big No, no Mads Mikkelsen, no nothing. Um, David Fincher for Mank. Uh, we've got Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. We've got Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. And we've got Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Yeah, so we got two women there for Best Director. I My money's on Chloe Zhao for No Man's Land. Uh, she won the BAFTA for Best Direction. No Man's Land's been very strong this year. It's tipped to win a lot of things. I think... Um, yeah, I think she's going to win it. And if not, I mean, my second choice, even though we're not really doing that officially, but my second choice would be Emerald Fennell. I'll go. I'll back the two women on this one, but Chloe Zhao uh, in the in the top spot for me. Yeah, I, I uh, out of all of it, I think Chloe Zhao. Um, uh, I think I think deserves it, and uh, I, yeah. I think it will win. Uh, it's both my pick and my bet, I guess. <laughs> so Fincher wins. Uh, so yeah, you know what's happening. Fincher wins. Uh, I'm, yeah. You're going to shoot the TV as well. Uh. <laughs> Order yourself a 38 snub nose special, and you too can shoot your television. Okay, brilliant. That's our best director. And now to round us off, best picture. Give us the short list, our Dave. So, best picture, this is the one that most people are uh, most interested in, of course, always. It's uh, the big one. It's the they big leave one. It to the end. They leave it to the end so everybody has to sit through the four hours. Yeah. <laughs> To find out what's one. Teasing you to excitement. Um, so we've got The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Every time you say Sound of Metal, I think you're going to say Sound of Music. <laughs> the hills are alive. It's like, what is it? Had a remake or is it a Redux edition? Especially it's a heavy metal cut? remake of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with uh, Riz Ahmed as uh, Captain Von Trapp. <laughs> okay, well, um, I went for Nomadland. Let's get that out of the way. Again, you know, we've got a review for it on the website. We'll link all these reviews in the description below. Please do take a look at them and see, and see what we thought of these films as we've gone along. But yeah, I mean, of all of those, uh, to me, Judas and the Black Messiah is a very, very close second. It's up there. Um, so, but I, I think, you know, I'll go with Nomadland. I think Nomadland's going to win. 
Yeah, I think um, I've got a sneaky feeling that Nomadland might win. Um, my pick is Sound of Metal. I okay. think um, that, out of all of them, was the film I've enjoyed the most. The hills are alive with the sound of it's it's the most interesting I think out of all of them. Okay, and uh, it's inter- it's an interesting list really because I think really from the list first came out, we were kind of like Trial Chicago Seven. No, that's ne- that's never gonna get near it. Um, we talked last year about Manx's gonna be certainly one of the upper echelons of the sure um, yeah it's, it, that, i mean going back to what you were saying about the deer hunter before that is a film that ticks all those boxes exactly and um however it's obviously now been a big surprise because all the other films that have come since um man came out have kind of superseded it in in the rankings yeah, here absolutely especially and, in the uh, case of nomadland yeah nomadland's kind of really taken the storm of it um sound of metal's getting a lot of noise um promising your one young woman has come in and um you know uh made a a big splash really with uh rightly so great film there um minari's kind of snuck in uh i don't think it will take uh, a great deal but it's uh it's made an impact well i've done as you know i've done a review for minari that's just come out um yesterday that's that's there to have a look at filming five review Uh, on a second look at it uh, and this, I didn't actually mention this much in the review, but on a second look at it, it is an incredibly beautiful looking film. Some of the uh, shots in it are just so nice. They're so beautiful. It's all natural lighting and stuff as well. And, uh, you know, it, I think it's one of those films that you can maybe, uh, on first glance, you can write it off as being, oh, well, you know, no, but maybe it's one of those if you watch, you know, you get into it a couple of times and you realize, you know, it's quite a deep and special film, but. I don't think it'll win either, but it's nice to see it up there. It's yeah. nice to see an American film that is not in English. It's uh, it's yes, predominantly, predominantly in Korean. Yeah. So this is really cool. A24, man, they're such a great uh, outfit. I really enjoy a lot of their work. Uh, they're, they're pumping some good stuff out. It's been, I mean, it's been interesting topics really covered in, in, in this year's um, selections, really. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I don't think it's where anyone suspected it was going. Uh, and we could be completely wrong. We could. <laughs> this is the thing. You know, we, we, say, oh, we think it's going to be Nomad Land. We think it's going to be this and that. But they, we do have surprises. We do have things upsets, there is as they say, you know. But there we go. That's our roundups for the uh, the big six categories. Uh, the ones that get the most coverage, I suppose, overall in the Academy Awards. There are predictions. Check back with us next week in uh, More Movies Weekly to see how we did because we'll check off our scorecards after we've seen the ceremony. Also, we will be uh, live blogging on the night itself about the awards. So if you're up and watching the Academy Awards and on social media, be sure to check over with us. Come join us. We'll be there, memeing away, letting you know the results. Absolutely. We love it. Falling asleep at the keyboard. We cannot get enough of it. I get psyched. I get pumped every year for the Academy Awards. I have always enjoyed them. I've enjoyed them since I was young. You know, I mean, it's been hard over here in the UK to actually get hold of, you know, a channel that will actually show it and stuff. I mean, years ago, I think the BBC used to, to put it on. 
And then it turned into highlights. You can see the highlights the next day, like an hour's worth or something. And then Sky's got it now, you know, all of that. And it's like, you know, I, I, you know, I just want to move to Los Angeles just once a year, just to sit in someone's house and watch the Oscars, you know. Anybody out there in LA who, who we know that can invite me over next year, I'll bring the popcorn. <laughs> I'll bring I'll bring you some gin from from merry old Great Britain, some good old fashioned British gin. Well, for for how late it is across here, we'll just need lots of uh, coffee and donuts, I think. To, and gin. <laughs> but there we go. That was our predictions. Uh, Two right. on Sunday, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. It is exciting. It's great. Okay, so now we're going to have a look at some of our favorite Oscars moments. Um, we'll start off, we'll, we'll, we'll break this down to, into different categories because we've got sort of like favorite bits, but some of them are a bit different than others. Some of them we enjoyed because they were enjoyable and funny, but some of them we've sort of highlighted here because they were, you know, a little bit cringy, to be honest. Some <laughs> of it is like, you know, that's the kind of thing that can happen at, at uh, the Oscars. Uh, as well it's part of it it's part of the whole package you you kind of expect it in some ways um so i'll start off with um seth mcfarlane who a few years ago did an incredibly cringing song we've seen your boobs which he sang to all the women in the audience that had happened to just you know be topless in a movie we saw your boobs in the movie that we saw we saw your boobs Meryl Streep, we saw your boobs in Silkwood. Where he got the idea for this, I just don't know. It's it's incredibly cringe-worthy. I mean, it's like something you might expect in the 70s. Hey, Meryl Streep, I've seen your boobs. You know, it's like, what was he doing? It was funny and cringy at the same time. Uh, it's very family guy humor. I think it just misread the room, really, more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a black tie event. People there in their best dress and stuff, and he's talking about, oh, I've seen your boobs, seen your boobs. We've all seen your boobs. And it's kind of like, dude, <laughs> why, why isn't he singing We Seen Your Schlong? Well, I think he was planning on Harvey Keitel back, in the piano, We Seen Your Schlong. Well, talking of cringeworthy musical performances, um, one of the most notorious, perhaps, uh, Rob, uh, Rob Lowe in 1989, um, introduced the show with a 50-minute musical number with producer Alan Carr, who produced the Grease movies. And not the Alan a, Carr we know over here, then. No, not that Alan, Alan Carr. Alan Carr, catchy man. Not but, that guy. But a man just as camp. Yes, I know I sound like Adele. I can't help it. Listen, you're right. Um, uh, but he was involved in the Grease movies and, and a few other productions, and he, one of the Hollywood, uh, you know, types. Yeah. Uh, this... Production went so badly, he kind of got shunned from Hollywood and never really worked again. That's uh, how bad it was. That's how bad it was. Um, it, it's a cringeworthy performance. You've got this girl dressed as Snow White. In the movies, came to Hollywood, the game. You became a star as animated mama. Earned yourself a place in the walk of fame. And well, yeah, another part of the uh, cringe moments, you get... Um, 
is is in the speeches sometimes they end up being a little bit cringy you've obviously got the famous play them out you know if those speeches going on too long the orchestra suddenly my, my children are christopher thomas alexander and samantha thank you for inspiring me every day for my mom and dad thank you for telling me i could do any crazy career choice i wanted finally i want to thank all the artists who but, uh, some of the speeches themselves can can be a little bit cringeworthy. Um, so, for example, we got Sally Field's acceptance speech when she won Best Actress for Places in the Heart. She did the famous You Like Me speech. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I mean, that is... That's emotion taking over. And it's I think it's at a point where they'll just come out with anything. It's just embarrassing. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we get embarrassed by that sort of thing a bit more maybe over here in the UK because we're a bit more uptight and we're, yeah. you know, we embarrass easily. So we see something like that and it's real double cringe. It's like, Ey! yeah, it's like uh, Jung Yaon said, you know, we're just a bit snobbish when it comes to things like that. So, Especially recognized by British people known as very snobbish people and they approve me as a... Uh, a bit like a Gwyneth Paltrow speech that time as well, I think. Play this role had I not understood love of a tremendous magnitude and for that I thank my family, my mother, Blythe Tanner, who I <laughs> love more than anything and my... And uh, yeah, that was a bit of a cringing speech. That was, that was, became known as the, uh, you know, disingenuous Oscars speech. That's where it started. I suppose the ultimate cringe moment and uh, the biggest lock-up in Oscars history, of course, happened uh, with the La La Land and Moonlight uh, moment for Warren Beatty the other year. For best picture. You're awful. <laughs> Come on. La La Land. That's right. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, who both announced La La Land as best picture winner, and it was actually Moonlight that won. We lost, by the way, but, you know. I'm sorry. No, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. I mean, what happened there? Somebody got fired for giving them the wrong envelope or what? Yeah, I felt sorry for Warren Beatty uh, when it happened because it was cringy for everyone. And then it kind of, like, fell onto his lap in the moment in terms of, it's your fault, Warren, and it wasn't really his fault, you know. No, I don't think it was his fault. I mean, to be honest with you, I thought he looked like he just didn't give a shit. He was just like, not my fault. I just read what they gave me. They gave me the wrong card, man. Like we mentioned earlier, um, fashion is a big thing at the Academy Awards, especially for the women. Um, We see some of the most fantastic dresses we've ever seen. So uh, we had people like Cher in 1986 having won... For Moonstruck in 1985, she came back and presented the Best Actor Award dressed like this. As you can see, I did receive my Academy booklet on how to dress like a serious actress. <laughs> now that's an outfit. That is, that is that, that would do better in uh, Mardi Gras than it's, at the Oscars. It's certainly something. <laughs> I mean, Cher makes it work. She's looked so good in anything. She'd look good in a sort of dirty old bin liner. So, you know, why not dress in anything you want? But that was really pushing it to the nth degree there, you know, high to the 80s there. Oh, it's, it's, it's her trademark, really, isn't it, to uh, wear these uh, 
massive outfits. But, I mean, talking of dresses at the Oscars, there is nothing better than Trey Parker and Matt Stone turning up in dresses on the red carpet, uh, high on acid. Um, Jesus. As they were nominated for, I think it was Best Score, I think, for the South Park movie. Best yeah. Original Song or something. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, that's just absolute pandemonium. Is that why you're in the dress? It's just such a magical evening, and everyone, it's just everyone looks so spectacular. You know, we just wanted to be a part of it's it all. It's a night of magic. What? Come on. Absolute pandemonium. I mean, is that taking it a little bit too far, perhaps? One thing to get dressed up in women's clothes, fair, fair enough, no problem there, do what you like. But getting smashed out of your heads on LSD... You know they were lucky to get away with it, really, because you know they could have, they could have done anything. They could have gone, you know. They could have done anything. It, it, it's I don't know. It's funny they were iconic, and uh, you know it kind of fits with their. You know they are uh, anti-establishment. You know when they're showers, and it's uh, so it fits what they do, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, it, it'd be more weird if uh, you know if Tom they Hanks were just straight laced, on LSD, yeah. you know? Tom um, Hanks on LSD. <laughs> Imagine it. We couldn't get much higher. That would be the one you go, oh my God, what's happened? What's yeah. up with Hanks? <laughs> Run, Forrest. <laughs> Don't yeah, absolutely on. crazy. Yeah, you get some funny things happening. I mean, in 2007, Martin Scorsese was presented with his first Oscar for Best Director for The Departed by Francis Ford Coppola. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, and there was a funny little bit about um, who'd won an Oscar and who hadn't. Let's have a look at that. The three of us are here because we know what a great feeling it is to win an Academy Award for directing. Yeah, it was, it was the greatest honor that I've ever received. Hey, guys, I never won an Academy Award. <laughs> so why are you here? Uh, so yeah, poor George Lucas there. Although he is emperor of Hollywood in many ways, one of the most successful filmmakers of all time, never won an Academy Award. I know, and it's it's outrageous, really, poor Georgie. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think any of his films were Best Director stuff, really. You couldn't say, uh, and the winner for Best Director is George Lucas for Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. No, I don't know. Or even worse, one of, the, one, of the, one of the really crappy Star Wars movies. But I think, but, you know, if you look at the original Star Wars that won so many awards that year, yeah, um, and in in that year alone, it really changed the industry um, in such a profound way, mm. um, and he was totally shunned. And I think that was a bit. Well, tight. he wasn't totally shunned, like you said. The film itself won a lot of awards, and at the end of the day, he is the but director the... and the writer of that film, so he can still take some of the credit for that stuff. He but... can take the credit, some credit, but it was all in the technical categories. And I think um, you know, it's the by far and away the biggest film of the year. And yeah. the, well, one of the biggest, biggest films film of, the, of, the, of the modern times. Yeah, you know, and... Um, but look at Spielberg. It took him a long time to win an Oscar because of um, the same reasons. It wasn't yeah. until Schindler's List. And, yeah, I mean, at the Oscars, plenty of crazy antics take place. And, uh, I mean, one of the craziest was back in the, the 90s, the Roberto Benigni, uh, who was had won the best uh, foreign film, decided to celebrate by jumping up on the chess and uh, very Italian celebration. <laughs> He's that kind of character, isn't he? He's such a crazy, fun-loving clown of a character. You, 
you kind of expect it from him. He's so exuberant and so full of life that, you know, good stuff. As long it's as he it. didn't have any dog shit on his shoes, then why shouldn't <laughs> That's he? That's it. Crazy. Um, I mean, one of my favorite moments um, was when Stallone was was presenting an award and they got Muhammad Ali to sneak up behind him because it was around the time of Rocky. I really feel it's a privilege to be here tonight and I'm going to try my best to... But... <laughs> Can't you see I'm working? I'm the real Apollo Queen. Show me, show me what you can do. Those those sort of moments are really good fun. I think you know. Yeah, the 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 things that you remember, aren't they? The 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 little bit special. Well, speaking of which, my number one Oscars moment, personally speaking, was when Marlon Brando decided to decline his Oscar for Best Actor for The Godfather and um, sent up Shasheen Littlefeather to uh, protest Hollywood's portrayal of Native Americans in movies and television. I thought, wow, you know, what a, what a brave thing to do. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. Excuse me. It was powerful and strong, wasn't it, to uh, go against the system? It's something he became known for, really. It's very much a Brando thing to do, yeah. Yeah, and... uh, It will have really pissed some people off. I, I know people like John Wayne and stuff were not very happy about that. Well, of course, John Wayne wasn't happy. He was never really happy. <laughs> it's, ha- it's happened over the years quite a few times where people have used the ceremony to voice their political opinions, so to speak, and sometimes that gets railed against as well. Yeah, I think. I mean, sometimes it can work and be and, and be powerful. The odd occasion, like Brando, you know, there's obviously a, a key moment in history. But I think I, you know, also kind of agreed with. Um, you know, it's uh, it's the Golden Globes, but when Ricky Gervais, you know, said in that, you know, you're not here. To, it's not necessarily a rally. You know, accept your award and start off. You know, it's you know, it's it's not really the stage for um, big long speeches about things they don't know anything about. You know, and uh, yeah. you can sometimes stink of hypocrisy. Sometimes I think that's the thing that people don't like. Yeah, where big, rich Hollywood stars that have got all the money in the world are trying to tell people how to uh, behave. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, talking of protests, uh, there was a famous incident uh, where David Niven was presenting an award, and uh, this happened. And someone, quite likely... Fascinating to think that, that probably the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. What, what, a, what a great comeback by, uh, by Niven there. Absolute classic. Absolute classic. It's exactly what you want. That's what you want at the Oscars. Yeah. Crazy moments and funny lines. Absolutely. I mean, you get funny stuff as well. Uh, Carrie Fisher and Martin Short both uh, awkwardly turning up in the same outfit.
Martin, how did this happen? Carrie, I'm sorry. I, I... Obviously, that was a set set up, a set piece. But uh, good old Martin Short, what a, what a funny guy. Hilarious. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's see if any interesting moments happen uh, this year. This year, it's going to be slightly different than usual. It's not going to have all the the audience and stuff that uh, you usually expect. It's not going to be that kind of uh, thing. But um, as we saw at the Baftas recently, you can still funny lines can be said and funny things can happen. So um, that's what we watch it for. That's it. We'll wait for their memorable moments. Okay, my friend. Well, that's uh, some of our favourite moments of the Oscars over the years. Um, let's have a look at our top five best pictures. Okay, so we're going to be looking at our top five best pictures from over the years. Uh, I mean, there's been 92 best picture awards given to date. So there's quite a lot to choose from there. To whittle it down to just five is kind of a difficult thing. So what I've done, I've stuck to uh, 80s and early 90s because this was my first sort of exposure to the Oscars, you know, seeing on TV and whatnot and seeing who won. Um, I have my own personal reasons for picking these films, but my mine generally fit into that yeah, time, was- time period. It's a, it was a difficult. It's difficult to sit there with the list and go, "Oh, what is the best five out of these?" Because it, yeah, it was extraordinary. I mean, there's some films on there. I was like, mm, "Don't agree with that being there." But um, yeah, of course, of course. But there was a, it's an extraordinary list of films, um, yeah. and it was quite difficult to whittle them down to, to to five. So let's start in at number five. Let's see what we've chosen at number five. Take away the screens. Okay, so I've gone for Unforgiven which I think won in 1992. Clint Eastwood came back, did a Western. It's probably his best Western, I think. Yeah, absolutely fantastic film. I I almost put it in mine. Um, It was in there and I removed it. Um, But yeah, one of my favourite Westerns, as we talked about in in our top five Westerns last year. Yeah, I mean, he he was famous as a cowboy. You know, he kind of took over that John Wayne mantle in a way and became America's toughest cowboy and he did all the spaghetti westerns in the late 60s 70s and then did a slew of his own westerns uh throughout the 70s and 80s and then he took a break from it for a while westerns were kind of out of um fashion for a little while but then he comes back with unforgiven and uh yeah i'm not surprised it won the best film because it's such a bloody good it's bigger than just being a, a genre film i think it's a really well put together film. I've gone for Gladiator. Okay. I mean, it was obvious why this won at the time when it won because it was uh, for the first time in a long time a big historical epic. And uh, traditionally, back in the fifties and sixties, historical epics were were complete yeah. Oscar winning for you know films. Ben Hur and, ben Hur and like stuff that. like that. Yeah. So, um, but fantastic film. I, I I think it's one of the best of those um, kind of things, um, especially in recent. Uh, history, although that's yeah. 20 years old now. Um, exactly. Uh, I mean, it was not long after, uh, beforehand Braveheart had won Best Film. And yeah. even though that's based a little bit more in uh, historical fact, even though I, I'm led to believe that, you know, nothing in that film is actually accurate. 
not surprising, but um, <laughs> Gladiator is not based in any fact at all. They never said it was. It's not, you yeah, know, it was yeah. just a, a, you know, fictional film, even though it's based in, a, in an era where those kind of things happened. But yeah, of, the, of those two films, I much prefer Gladiator. Yeah. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Yeah, I think the, the, the accuracy comes from, you know, this sword is accurate at the time and, and these things happened. The, the story itself is, of course, yeah, totally fictional, as you say. Yeah. But fantastic action, great story, upsetting at the end. You know, it's a real uh, it's got fantastic a, it's drama. Got, it ticks a lot of boxes. It's got a lot of great Oscar-worthy uh, ingredients in there. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Let's move it along. Let's go to number four. Our number four picks, Take Away the Screens. Let's have a look. Okay, so I went for Rain Man. I think that won Best Picture in around 1988. Obviously, Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise. Hoffman obviously won Best Actor for his portrayal of... Uh, a man who has severe autism. Great drama between the two brothers. Great road movie. Um, really magical film, in my opinion. I really love it still. Yeah, it's a, it is an amazing film and, and well-deserved acting Oscar as well for Dustin Hoffman, uh, you know, the autistic savant. It's um, it, it's a brilliant film. and I, want, I mean, that started that kind of movement of, um, you know, over the next few years, those kind of films that are kind of modern dramas about people um thinking of forest gump winning a few years later and stuff sure. it's uh, it was a bit of a period then of those kind of films and yeah very man yeah. superb i went for platoon platoon yeah i think that's perhaps my favorite uh yeah. vietnam war film because it's so realistic realistic yeah a, a film that's almost without hope you know uh it's um it is brutality um and uh, yeah, just well, so yeah. Powerful. Oliver Stone had uh, obviously served several tours in Vietnam. Um, it was basically coming straight from his uh, memory of his time serving over there. So uh, even though it's an amalgamation of a lot of different things that he experienced into the one narrative thread, um, it's a very powerful film. So yeah, let's have a look at our number three picks. Let's take away the screens, and there we go. I had Platoon at number three. So we're on a similar wavelength there. Absolutely. There we go. It appears again. Uh, I've Here I've gone for Midnight Cowboy, which we mentioned earlier. We did um, in 1969. The first R-rated picture to actually win Best Picture um, or X-rated. Uh, I think it was R-rated at the time. It avoided an X rating uh, by doing one or two things. I think they fought for it to be an R rating rather than an X rating. But because of the... Uh, supposed sexual content um there was they were going to put an x on it but i mean you look back on it now and and there's nothing in it that's uh by contemporary standards that's eyebrow raising at all but back then i suppose you know but yeah superb film dustin hoffman john voigt um fantastic performances of his time um an incredible story Um, john schlesinger film uh, yeah british director And just totally heartbreaking in the end, you know. Yeah, and, it's, um, it's a re- it is a true weepy. It's uh, it, it gets you right there, and I think, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, let's get down to number two picks. Uh, let's take away the screens for number two. I had Dances with Wolves, which is one of my favorite films ever. I think it won a lot of Oscars that year, uh, other than Best Picture, but um, 
It's one of my favorites of all time. I really love it. It's it's a bit like the Oscars show itself. It's very long. Um, uh, it's a, it's an epic film. A bit like Gladiator. It's not based in actual factual things, but there, there's a lot about it that you could say, oh, this is kind of based on this and kind of based on that. And the, yeah. the time period itself is accurate. But um, a very special film. Uh, again, talking about the Marlon Brando thing about representations of Native Americans. This is, in a way, Kevin Costner rectifying that image a little bit. And uh, even though people would probably still criticize it now, all these years later, for one reason or another, I think at the time, you know, um, Costner's heart was in the right place because he's probably got, I think he's got some sort of uh, ancestry in some Native American tribes there. I think he had a vested interest in um, portraying them in the most accurate and authentic way possible. Yeah, it's absolute. It is. A, it's an absolute superb film. It's exactly the kind of thing the Academy looks for again. Um, yeah, but yeah, another epic. Um, picking up multiple awards and a, and a, and a fantastic uh, film and performance from Kevin Cosner. Uh, I've gone for No Country for Old Men. Brilliant. Uh, my most recent uh, pick. Absolutely. Um, uh, Timeline wise, just an amazing. Amazing film. We we both love this. I think most people yeah. love it. Um, oh yeah, popular Coen Brothers piece that is. Yeah, Coen it Brothers. Certainly, uh, it certainly makes our top five Coen Brothers films. Another article that we've written is on our website. You can check it out in the links below. And uh, I think it was um, one of the most deserving of um, more recent uh, entries. I think, and uh, yeah. Nice to see saying? a film like that winning because it's quite, you know, it's it's a it's a sort of thriller in a way. It's a drama thriller, not not something you typically think the Academy would uh, get behind as a best picture winner. So no, it's kind of it, nice that they won it, in that sense, isn't it? Certainly a more kind of populist film. This was something yeah. that I would expect more people go and watch. It's not uh, so niche as most best pictures. Uh, a lot of well, a lot of best pictures end up being, and. Um, so it is more in that kind of you see thriller action kind of thingy, and a bit of a throwback as well because in more recent years it's been a lot of biopics and yeah. uh, that kind of stuff that wins. And this was kind of one of the ones that stood out as in oh no they've gone for yeah you know something very different and something you know more kind of sixties Oscar wise I think yeah. but um, yeah an alternative Super. film so to speak certainly in terms of the Academy. Well done. Okay, so that brings us to the the top spot, numero uno, number one. Let's have a look what's behind the screens. Okay, so I've gone for one of the greatest films ever made, in my opinion. And as mentioned before, Steven Spielberg's first sort of slew of Oscars came all at once for this great, great picture based on Thomas Keneally's book, Schindler's Ark. It is, of course, Schindler's List. I mean, you know, what can you say? It's a, you know, it's the ultimate Holocaust movie, I suppose. It is. It's you know, heart wrenching, powerful. Yeah. Um, it's uh, almost indescribable. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think most people, especially in this country, uh, have seen the film and know the film. It gets shown to a lot of us at school. Um, yeah, it's um, well deserving of of, of the Oscar. Uh, and the plaudits it got over the years, and yeah, 
a fantastic um, victory, you know, for Spielberg, you know. to Yeah, it's one of those that comes along. I think it's an important film. Yeah. You know, we're just talking about No Country for Old Men. Great, fantastic movie. Really enjoy it. A lot of fun, but not what I consider to be an important film because very few films are, whereas Schindler's List, for me personally, I think it is an important film. It has been criticized over the years. Some people saying that um, Spielberg sort of made it a little bit too light in a way. I remember Terry Gilliam saying something about the Holocaust is something that had no hope in it whatsoever, and, and Spielberg tried to bring a little bit of hope into it. But I don't agree with that. I don't agree with uh, Gilliam on that because it is a story of hope because it's about somebody that actually risked their own life and sacrificed everything that they'd made on the back of, of, of the slavery of the uh, Jewish um, prisoners uh, and, and actually ended up saving a lot of them. I would say that's hopeful. That is it shows that this, despite the darkest of circumstances, and that surely is the darkest thing in our history, the Holocaust, that it shows that even in those circumstances, somebody did the right thing. I mean, knockout performances from Ben Kingsley, from Ray Fiennes, Liam Neeson as well, best performance he ever gave, in my opinion. But really, you know, a very important film. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely as you say, it's it's one of the most important films uh, in the long, illustrious uh, history of uh, film. Uh, I've picked Godfather Part 2 here. Um, of course, both the first and second film um, yeah. won the best picture, so it could have been either one. I think the second one is the best, personally. Okay. Um, just, I think, iconic film, iconic performances. Um influenced so much after it um, yeah. it's such a thrilling film a thrilling tale yeah um it's got everything um for me it's like um it's one of those films that is like if i was to write down all the recipe ingredients for what i like in a film and put them on a list this is one of the films that ticks it all you know yeah so fair enough it's absolute uh, perfection to me yeah, well, no argument from me. I absolutely love the first two Godfather movies. Um, I'd, if it were me, I'd go for the first one first, but I, I love the second one as well. Um, it has got everything in it. I love the fact that it flashes back to the past and we see Vito's backstory and Robert De Niro plays Vito in it. And you see his, you know, from being a child in Sicily and it brings it all the way up to going to America and becoming, you know, what we know as the Godfather. Um, but yeah, fantastic. Francis Ford Coppola, you just couldn't touch him in them days. He was the man. The master. I don't think you ever could, to be honest. It's, Again, uh... you might want to check out our top five Francis Ford Coppola films. I know that The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two are both in there as one of the entries. So there's another four there to be checked out. Again, we'll put a link into the description if you want to check that out. But there we go. There are our picks. Uh, let us know your thoughts down below. And uh list off yeah. your top fives let us know what you think okay and we're coming towards the end of the show now so we're going to have a little bit of fun and we're going to quiz Dave on his Academy Awards knowledge let's see if he remembers who won what where and when over the years uh, Dave, I've picked out a few for you. Some of you, some of them you'll probably know. You can't know them all. I mean, who does? So, 
Um, I'd be shocked you know, if I got the ball. I'd be sh- shocked if I get one. I'd think you were cheating. <laughs> <laughs> there would be an investigation, darling. I'm telling you now. Yeah. Internal investigation into the corruption of the quiz. Yeah, the corruption of the quiz. So here we go. Let's uh, same categories as earlier. So we're going to go with best supporting actress, best supporting actor, best actress in a leading role, best actor in a leading role, best director, and best picture. But they're all going to be from different years. And let's see if you can remember who won what. So we'll start off with. Uh, we'll go with. Best Actress in a Supporting Role, and we're going all the way back to 1993 Academy Awards, and the shortlist is as follows. Judy Davis for Husbands and Wives, Joan Plowright for Enchanted April, Marissa Tamai for My Cousin Vinny, Vanessa Redgrave for Howard's End, and Miranda Richardson for Damage. I think it would be between two. Nail it down to one, darling. You can only have one winner. We can't split an Oscar in two. I'm going to take a guess at Vanessa Redgrave. So you think it was Vanessa Redgrave for Howard's End? Let's find out. And the Oscar goes to Marissa Tamay in My Cousin Vinny. Oh, that, see, that was, that was the other one I was thinking, you know, and I love that film and she's fantastic in it. Oh, it was a 50-50 split and you zigged <laughs> when you should have zagged. Okay, so for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, we're going to turn the clocks back not too far this time. We're going to the 2018 Academy Awards, and your shortlist is as follows. Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project, Woody Harrelson for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, or Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I'm really not sure, but I'm going to go with Woody Harrelson. So let's take a look. And the Oscar goes to Sam Rockwell, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Ooh, unlucky there. It was the right film, but the wrong actor. They I'm both got there. nominated for the same film in the supporting actor category. Francis McDormand, of course, was the lead in that film. Uh, and Sam Rockwell won it. Beat out his, uh, his co-star, Woody Harrelson. <sighs> what can you do about it? Nothing. I can do nothing. Okay, let's move on. Let's go with uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role. We're going to go all the way back to 1991. A long time ago there. Before I was born. Just about before you were born to the Academy Awards. I remember it, obviously. I wasn't there that year. I was working on another project, but I remember it. <laughs> uh, so your shortlist for Best Actress in a, uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role is as follows. Kathy Bates for Misery, Angelica Houston for The Grifters, Julia Roberts for Pretty Woman, Meryl Streep for Postcards from the Edge, or Joanne Woodward for Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. Hmm. It's between two in my head. You can only go with one. It's between Misery and Pretty Woman in my head. Uh, You're only going with one. I might be mixing up with a different year, maybe, but I'm going to go and say Julia Roberts won for Pretty Woman. Okay, let's have a look. And the Oscar goes to... Kathy Bates in Misery. (laughs) 
Dang, you should have gone with misery, buddy. It was it Kathy was Bates. Misery. There you go. Oh. It was misery. You should have gone with misery. Again, Dave has zigged when he should have zagged. Julia Roberts did not win an Oscar for Pretty Woman, for God's sake. You know, I remember on stage accepting something. I don't know which year that was. It was probably a Razzie. Well, it'd be more deserving, yeah. (laughs) I love it up here. Worst performance ever. No, I love Julia Roberts and I love Pretty Woman. Great film. But Kathy Bates in Misery, come on. What a performance. Oh, amazing. It was a sledgehammer wielding heavy performance. Everybody remembers that clip, right? It's for the best. Ah! Ouch, yeah, that's enough of that. Okay, let's move on to Best Actor in a Leading Role. We're going all the way back to 2005, the Academy Awards there. And your shortlist is as follows. Don Cheadle for Hotel Rwanda. Johnny Depp for Finding Neverland. Leonardo DiCaprio for The Aviator. Clint Eastwood for Million Dollar Baby, or Jamie Foxx for Ray? If I remember correctly, I think that's Jamie Foxx, isn't it? Let's have a look now. And the Oscar goes to... Jamie Foxx and Ray. Excellent performance. performance. Absolutely incredible. Uh, No one else could have played Ray Charles better than Jamie Foxx. I can't believe Johnny Depp was nominated that year. Maybe that was a sort of a filler. Oh, there wasn't much Mm. else that year, so let's put Johnny in there. I mean, I like him as an actor, but that film, Finding Neverland, I don't think that was like a standout performance. Well, yeah, there you go, Tosh. Obviously, I had Clint Eastwood in there, Million Dollar Baby, one of his best performances, I think. Yeah, amazing film, absolutely Yeah, and when he breaks down at the end, it's, God, it's powerful, really powerful stuff. Uh, Okay, so now we're going to move on to the best director, and we're going to roll the clocks back to 2010, the Academy Awards there. Um, and your shortlist is as follows. James Cameron for Avatar. Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker. Quentin Tarantino for Inglorious Bastards. Lee Daniels for Precious. Or Jason Reitman for Up in the Air. Uh, isn't, isn't that Catherine Bigelow? Let's find out now. And the winner is... Well, the time has come. Catherine Bigelow! It was, of course, Catherine Bigelow. It was the first time a woman won Best Director. And that was only 11 years ago. Disgraceful. Shocking. I mean, fast forward 11 years, we've now got two women in the Best Director category, which is great, but it is shocking to, to think that the first time a woman won for Best Director was only 11 years ago. Yeah, well. So good going on, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, massive. You know, it was, it was a well-deserved award. It was a great film. Uh, That's another top five we've done before. Catherine Bigelow's top five films. Check it out. Link below. She's done some good ones. The Hurt Locker was one of them, obviously. Let's move on to our final category. Of course, this is the big one of the evening. We always leave the big one to the end of the show, as is the tradition with the Academy Awards. So for Best Picture, we are rolling it back to 1992 Academy Awards. Let's see if you remember what one there is, the year of your birth. And let's find out if you remember what won that year. Your shortlist is as follows. Beauty and the Beast, 
Bugsy, JFK, Prince of Tides, or The Silence of the Lambs? Presumably it's Silence of the Lambs. Let's find out now. And the Oscar goes to... The Silence of the Lambs. I got it right. I got it right. There we go. You got it right. It was, of course, Silence of the Lambs, 1992, the Jonathan Demme film. Swept the board that year, I believe, as well, because Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor for his portrayal as Dr. Lecter. And Jodie Foster, I think, also won for her role as Clarice Starling. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Brilliant film. Brilliant film. Well deserved. Yeah. All across the board. Uh, yeah. Inter- interesting uh, year for nominations there because I think Beauty and the Beast, I think that was the first animated film that was nominated for Best Picture, I think, or something like that. There we go. Another first. So, yeah, you broke even. You got three out of six. That's not bad to walk home with. Three out of six. And I was incredibly close on two of them. Uh, if I had to flip the coin the other way round. Well, you only get one choice, darling. You only get one shot. (laughs) Yeah, close enough. Well done, Dave. Excellent. We'll we'll test you again next year. I'll make the questions even harder. (laughs) But that's it. That is it. That we've come to the end of another movie show. Thanks very much for tuning in and joining us on this Academy Awards special. Um, As I say, on Sunday night, we will be tweeting and blogging live about the academy awards come and join us for that on social media at more movies for you on twitter we mainly hang out on twitter there's a good crowd over there hey guys so yeah i think we're at the end of the show dave we are thanks for joining us uh thanks for joining me greg uh for this uh, special episode of the movie show thanks for joining me dave <laughs> and uh yeah thank you all for for tuning in We'll be back next week with the weekly show as normal and we will reflect on if we were right with our predictions here uh, and the fallout from the Oscars. And, uh, yeah, so until then, we'll catch you next time. Take it easy, guys. That's it for this video. Thanks for checking it out. Please remember to like, share and subscribe and press the bell icon for notifications. You can see more of our news, reviews and articles over on our website, moremovies.co.uk. And remember to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at More Movies For You. Remember, if you like our content, you can support us at buymeacoffee.com, link in the description below. To check out more of our fantastic content, click one of the buttons on screen now. <laughs>